Hello and welcome to the Ghibli Rewatch series of the Overly Animated Podcast, where we'll be going through every Studio Ghibli movie chronologically from the beginning. I'm Dylan Heisen, and today I'm joined by Ali Martin. Hey. And Delaney Stovall. Hey, y'all. Join us in rewatching or watching for the first time all the Studio Ghibli movies now that they're available for streaming for the first time on HBO Max in the United States and Netflix and most of the rest of the world. We'll be having a new podcast every Wednesday as we go through the whole Studio Ghibli catalog. Find all of our other stuff and all the ways to contact, contact us at OverlyAnimated.com. Um, I'm a Ghibli expert joined by co-hosts with a variety of Ghibli experience. Today, it is time for one of the big ones, Princess Mononoke. Um, yes. We'll be getting into spoilers for all of Mononoke, so definitely go have seen the movie, and to come back and listen to this, um, we'll be only giving vague spoilers for other Ghibli movies. Um, if you've seen the sub or the dub, that's fine. We talk, we tend to talk about both. We will probably be primarily coming from the sub perspective, however. So, it's uh, Princess Mononoke, 1997. Uh, this is Miyazaki's historical fantasy epic um this is a huge success a huge pivotal movie for a lot of different areas this was the highest grossing film in japan in 1997 i've seen this described as a cultural phenomenon in japan um mm. this was uh this is japan's box office record for the highest grossing domestic film until spirited away um, it was the highest grossing film ever in Japan for a few months until Titanic, um, like right <laughs> after. And uh, Miyazaki is very random. Yeah. I mean, this is also the highest grossing here for a while. Uh, Miyazaki is like a celebrity in Japan after this. So like we've talked about successes for Studio Ghibli in the past movies. This is like another level um, once Mononoke comes out. There's also a big uh, time period for uh, Ghibli in the the rest of the world as they inked a deal with Disney. Um, and this is the first movie released under the new Disney deal. Uh, was not successful though, as there are some problems in uh, how Miramax released it and stuff. Um, but uh, still a big uh, turning point for visibility in uh, the United States for Ghibli movies. Uh, it's a super stressful movie for Miyazaki to make. This is the longest Studio Ghibli movie ever, the most expensive Studio Ghibli movie ever. And then this is the first time Miyazaki officially retires after Princess Mononoke. <laughs> uh, first of many. But he And then he comes back for Spirited Away. Um, Princess Mononoke, one of the most influential animated films i would argue we've talked about uh nausicaa and that's incredibly influential spirited away of course also i would argue princess mononoke probably the most influential animated film of all time in terms of current animation and we can talk about some of the reasons why um it's considered one of miyazaki's best uh one of the best animated films of all time i think this is one of the best films period of all time um so very excited to get into Everything about Princess Mononoke, Ali. Um, what's your history with this movie, and what do you? What are your overall thoughts on it? Well, I want to go backwards because first, I'm really glad you have such a high opinion of it. I kind of didn't expect it, even though I don't know why, since it's very environmentalist. Um, it's my favorite Ghibli movie. Also, I I don't know if I would say best movie of all time, but it's definitely my favorite animated movie of all time. Period. Um, I watched it for the first time when I was maybe like seven or eight. And I kind of didn't really pay attention. The It was in Japanese. I didn't have any subtitles. I was at a friend's house. Then I came back to it in college, really just... I consider that my first watch because I don't remember anything from seeing it as a kid. And I loved it. I love San. I also really like how they characterize Ashitaka as like, you know, even though he's 
I mean, this is kind of spoiler, even though he's like royalty, he's very like he's human. He's not terrible and like high and mighty. I He's one of my actually, no, he's my favorite Ghibli boy in the whole um, just series. Well, not series, but you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Um, I also really like the wolves because I'm a wolf girl cringe, <laughs> but the animals are fantastic. The animation and the music. Joe Hisayashi. Hisayashi, yeah. It's terrible of me. He's, I mean, a god to me. And it's really iconic in a lot of ways what this movie did, obviously. Um, it's my favorite, and I'm really happy to be on this pod, so thank you for that. Yeah, Ali's favorite. Nice. So what, what for, were you at a Japanese friend's house when you watched it without subs? Is yeah. That okay. <laughs> my best must friend at the time was Japanese. Her mom put it on, and there were no subtitles. So I was like, okay, I'll just not pay attention. Is this the beginning of your your quest to Pretty much, Japanese? yeah. I think this wasn't my first Ghibli movie, but it was one of them. Nice. So it was like my OG story. That's my cool. backstory. That's cool. Valley's backstory. Finally, we, we made it. <laughs> here it is. <laughs> okay, we have Delaney, who I believe just watched this for the first time. So tell us what you thought, Delaney. Oh my god! Yeah, so I'm a super Ghibli newbie. Um, as per usual, Dylan is my gateway into most things I watch. Uh, so I, other than Spirited Away, which I had seen like independently because you know spirited away is very um out there and readily available to watch and also i'm pretty sure at this point i've seen arietti but not understanding what it was just i know like i'm very familiar with the borrowers and like that all that stuff so i watched this for the first time this morning and so i had some expectations for the movie just based off like very vague things i understood about this movie and a lot of it had to do with like so my um, so this is my first podcast where I'm married. Hello, I have a wife. Uh, <laughs> so my wife, she's actually seen a lot of Studio Ghibli, which she doesn't bring it up until I'm like, oh, I have to watch this today. She goes, oh, I've seen that. I'm like, why you like, you should tell me these things. And so like she had seen um, Kiki's Delivery Service and she didn't tell me until we started watching it. It's so irritating. Anyway, <laughs> so she apparently like, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to watch Princess Mononoke. And she's like, yeah, isn't that like the wolf girl? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I had, I don't know anything about what this movie's about. So I was like, okay, let's watch it. And so I was a little turned off at the beginning. I was like, this is a boy. Where's <laughs> Princess Mononoke? Like, I was like, literally like so irritated. Where is she? Where is she? Like, I was like, what's going on? So like the first 10 minutes, I was kind of irritated because I was like, where is she at? So, but I actually really did enjoy this movie. Um, I'm probably going to be a little controversial here. I definitely prefer Nausicaa to this film. Totally uh, I am ex- like, I love Nausicaa. <laughs> like, it's yeah. which I had watched for the first time There's- for this podcast series. And I'm like, I'm big old Nausicaa stan. And so it's hard. It's, you know, again, you know, and my wife had made a comment about like, she goes, what is it like? This is literally just Nausicaa. And I'm like, look. <laughs> Miyazaki's films are environmentalism. The forest is good. People are bad. Okay. That's all the movies and it's fine. That's just what they're about. Okay. We just have to accept it and move on. And so like, she's like, that's fair. And like, so that's fine. If that's your that base level understanding of Miyazaki, that's all you need to know going forward. And it's true though. And like, it's fine. And it's good. It's a good message. And I, I mean, I did enjoy, like, I'm a big history buff. I do. I enjoy alternate histories. I enjoy historical fiction. So this definitely, this, you know, fantasy epic definitely appealed to me. Um, I am going to try and continue to watch these films without any context because I think having this vague idea, like I didn't, I didn't know what this movie was, but I also had expectations because of talking to people because I, 
I don't know. I had no idea she was a wolf girl. I don't know. Like, I was just like, you know, everyone just says Princess Mononoke. And I'm like, I'm supposed to know what that means. So, but I did, I did, I really enjoyed the movie after I got over the initial shock of the first 30 minutes of the movie. Do you know, it's actually, it's actually quite a bit of the film does not have Princess Mononoke in it. And I'm like, where, where's she at though? I do actually like, uh, Ali said, I actually really like Ashitaka. Like after the initial shock, if he's a boy, um, I really, he's a really good character. I enjoy him a lot. He's very Aang-esque. Mm-hmm. From our child last airbender. And but I do like it's hard not to compare this to Nausicaa. This is definitely it's I and I, while I was watching it, I was like, I wonder if this is gonna end like Nausicaa or if it's going to be darker. So it's interesting. I mean, we'll get more into it, but I it definitely I will say I enjoyed the film. I did enjoy it. Um there wasn't really a moment where I was bored. I did just spend a lot of the beginning waiting for Princess Mononoke. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's a good movie. I enjoyed it. I really enjoy Lady Eboshi. Like I I think it was funny after watching, after you watch Nausicaa and then we have Lady Eboshi and she's a very similar character, you know, the, like, I can't remember her name. The, the other powerful night lady in, in Nausicaa. Yeah. Kushana and Nausicaa. And oh, like, the they're very the similar characters, but then Eboshi kind of has this twist to her. Like she's, and we, we spend more time with her also. So I think that's, I think that was more, very, it was very interesting and I enjoyed like Lady Boshi and the Ironworks and that was not the direction I thought this film was going. So I think that was really like, once we get to the Ironworks, it's kind of where I really like zoned in where I was like, this is really interesting. Like, so I'm excited to talk about that. And yes, the women. yeah, so yes, the like women. more of them, please. More women, please. And, um, uh, is it, is it Toki? Is that her name? Yeah. Best. She's ten out of she's 10. the greatest. Okay, like, I didn't know we talked about to- Tokyo. Okay. She's great. She's extremely important. Anyway, she's a boss. Yes, that's all. Love, love this movie. I really enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I guess she's. I mean, okay, yeah. So, uh, w- I mean, we've been comparing. Um, I think Nausicaa to Mononoke a little bit um, earlier. So I don't know if we've primed that comparison. I do think it is a accurate comparison. Um, yeah, definitely. But I don't think that's like a crazy take, Nausicaa. Like, I, I personally, Nausicaa is more of my type of movie than Mononoke. So I kind of agree with that. But I hold Mononoke. Is it? In, in I'm like, just curious. Is it because there's less violence in general? Yeah, I mean, this is you know more of a violent movie. That's less of my type of thing. I mean, Nausicaa is like a, maybe a plucky hero in more of my uh, type of uh, favorite character like uh, archetype and then uh, just like the the future um, yeah. like, sci- sci-fi versus like a past epic um, but uh, there's definitely a lot of parallels but I mean like, like I said I, I told this movie incredibly high regard I do think it's like one of the greats I would probably if like in a quote-unquote objective ranking would probably put it like slightly above Nausicaa I think it's a little bit more of a complete movie um, like he's iterated on a lot of these themes um, this is this the big thing for me is this is like a lot more of like a morally gray movie than maybe mm-hmm. Nausicaa is so I think that it's a really tough comparison they're like the top two for me it's I mean, that's great and uh i mean we, we got spirited away coming up we'll add that into the mix a little bit of a different one when you say morally gray i guess um i'm not i'm not trying to like be like i think you're wrong it's just more of like when what you what do you mean in that i guess do you mean in its presentation yeah i mean i think that this because movie... i would agree that nausicaa is more like nausicaa wants you to feel a certain way about it and then i think there is because this is, I mean, ultimately the same conflict exists in these films. They are the same problem, but they are definitely, you get, you definitely get more of the two sides just because Ashitaka is such a middle character. Yeah. He, yeah. He's just like a conflict resolver. Um, cause like, cause Nausicaa is very much like, hello, I'm on this side. 
We're going to talk a lot about the moral grayness. This is one of the top things you'll hear about the discourse surrounding this movie. One of the biggest things is that there's discourse surrounding this movie. Of course there's discourse. This is like it's one of the most prominent animated movies ever. Of course there's a lot of discourse. There's, uh, I mean, I mean, just critical discourse. How about that? Like, okay. Critical (laughs) review, critic reviews and stuff. Not Twitter Uh, discourse. Yeah. Yeah. Discourse does not always mean the Twitter, but, uh, yeah, not, I don't know. It just usually does. There's definitely a Twitter discourse probably about Mononoke, but, um, just there's no villains in this movie. That's one of the big things you'll hear about. Who's the villain? Like, uh, is it Lady Eboshi? She's so sympathetic though. Um, is it, uh, Jikobo? It's definitely the, the emperor. The em- the, uh, yes. the off screen emperor, right? Like, yes. uh, <laughs> it's just humanity. Period. That's, and, that's my yeah. So, so we're gonna. T- we're, I have some some good quotes about the moral grayness. We'll talk about that. Like, um, it's it's this is. I, I I often remember that struck me a lot. This rewatch of Mononoke is. I often remember this as like one of Miyazaki's most heavy handed environmentalist movies. But honestly, he's like really reined in the per, the uh, quote unquote bias. Like, uh, yes. I, I see Nausicaa as a lot more of like a, a humans good uh, or humans bad nature good type of movie i think this movie he's not really trying to say that at all and we'll talk about that um and going back to delaney the the mononoke um yeah you could argue the she's like the sounds like the third most important character in the movie um, yeah which i think is some i think that's a lot of part of also why i like you were talking about why you prefer nausicaa but also like you think this is a more complete film for me it's like it's kind of hard to, again, you know, I don't want to come off and being like, I don't want a male character, but I don't like, <laughs> like it's just one of those, like, I like Ashitaka, but he's also a very much, I don't want to say a nothing character, but like, he's very passionate, but he's also not a person. He, yeah. he I, I see Ashitaka as a like epic figure. He's like the, yeah. the main character of like a historical epic who yeah. doesn't have just a hero. that much. He's just like the hero in, you know, like he, he's yeah. more, he's more depth to that, but that's kind of at his core what they're going for here. And of course yeah. it's like understandable to, to prefer, uh, like female characters in Nausicaa and stuff. And I think like with Miyazaki, you get mostly female characters. So oh, this yeah. is like a, 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 a different just- lead here. It's just interesting because you take Nausicaa, basically, like the core tenets of Nausicaa, and you and you throw that into a historical epic here in Princess Mononoke. But instead of having this Nausicaa character, you instead kind of break her into bits. Yes. And you end up yes. having, you have Ashitaka, who's, I don't want to say he's bland, but he kind of, I mean, I like him. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. And then you also have this very passionate, but kind of hard to love Princess Mononoke, like, like, yeah, she, I, there's I, not I like re- there's not really that character in Nausicaa, and then and she's the- very and she's also very blank. Like, what interests me is like her relationship to her uh, to Noro, and then like Moro. Yeah. I'm sorry, like that kind of stuff versus like herself. Like, I was really excited to meet her, but then all she is is pure rage, which I'm not saying isn't great because <laughs> it is, but like. It's also, it's very, it's, again, it's a very... I, I agree, though. They're both, they're both not, like, super inhuman. developed characters. And, yeah. And, and then, late, but then there's the Lady Eboshi, who's, like, the a much more enhanced perspective version yes. of Kushana. So they give a lot more to that character. Yes. And so, it, yeah, you're right. I do think they break the... Nausicaa's extremely centered on Nausicaa, and this movie has a lot of different directions. Which yeah, I there's a is, lot going on. I think is one of the reasons why it's so fascinating. And um, they pull out a lot yeah. of rugs. Like, there are several moments in this movie where I'm like, oh, like... Like, cause the light, cause you, you see Lady Eboshi and you think you know where this is going and then you meet the lepers and you're like, JK, I don't know what's going on anymore. And then, <laughs> that's how I felt too. and then you like, 
you know, you met the priest and you're like, he's kind of sketchy, but whatever. And then he comes back and you're like, you're super sketchy. I don't like you. And then like, it's interesting how we run around and like, I don't want to say we're running in circles, but it's, it's interesting the way the narrative um, operates. It does kind of flip flop and show you like behind the scenes. Which is ultimately what Ashitaka is doing. Like he's just literally just running back and forth between yeah, like the gods and the yeah, forest. He's kind of this medium, this angle. Yeah, like, I'm a uh, big fan of a middle. He's literally the avatar who like gets it done. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Except. Except he literally has to run the whole time. He's running it's, the entire movie. It's really interesting. You'd no expect this character to, to meet uh, San and meet uh, the, the 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 gods and like the the all, everything in the forest and be like, oh, these are the good guys. These are the people who I'm going to help. And right. but he's he's just too pulled in by Aboshi's like good qualities and by the Ironworks humanity. And, the people, and, yeah. and that's part of that's part of the moral ambiguity of the movie. Is like both sides have the have like real humanity and real goodness to them. And he doesn't even argue with San when she's like, "You mean I hate humanity? Humans are terrible." And he's like, "But we can live." Like it's never he, at no point is he like, "No, humans are good." Like <laughs> he's, bro, he doesn't argue that point. He's like, "Yes, but yeah, we can be bad and live at the same time." It's interesting. Yeah. I think this. I think this movie's <laughs> message is very relevant now. So we'll talk. Yes. Um, last oh, thing yeah. I want to say that there's like a, a story of uh, the uh, Toshio Suzuki is like the main producer of Ghibli. One it was wanted it to be called Princess Mononoke. Mizaki wanted it to be called the Legend. Legend of Ashitaka. So, like, there is a version of the name that would Interesting. be more Legend of Korra. I don't know if they got it from that, but, uh, but, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> I think in Miyazaki's, it makes sense. Like, is the Ashitaka is definitely the more central character to me. Uh, but, uh, I think Princess Mononoke may be more representative of the, uh, complexities, the feminist, the, uh, the, like, spiritual aspect of the movie. So, I don't know. I think that probably is the better title. Yeah. I mean, for the record, Mononoke means, like, it has to do with spirit energy. It's like a spirit related word. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of lose that because we don't translate that, um, which is not so good. <laughs> they kind of, especially if it's Disney, they probably should have made the title different. I mean, but... the subs don't translate some things; they do translate other things. Yeah. In addition to the the dub, which is this is one of the most prominent Ghibli dubs, and um, it's uh, I think it's I think it is a uh, a really a really good dub. Um, probably it's good. It's all right. I still have a problem with them changing some stuff around, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, Okay, well we can we can get back to that. I wanna I wanna dive into the the moral ambiguity of, of the movie. Um I think that's uh and like I had this as one of the top bullet points is like what well, what is the movie trying to say? Um because I think the more we're gonna dive into it, the less obvious uh you know, maybe it's uh, messaging is. You associate these heavily envir- pro environmental messages with Miyazaki. Um but uh they, I think that there's uh, a lot of nuance here. Let's start to bring in quotes from Susan Napier from Miyazaki World. Um, she says, The director treats both humans and nature even-handedly in the movie. The film is not simply an environmentalist peon that blames humanity and suggests that a return to nature is a simple and easy solution. Instead, the movie presents a radical vision of hybridity and interdependence between natural, supernatural, and human that only the animated medium with uh, with its transformative uh, possibilities could express. In the long run, the vision calls into question not only human rights to dominate nature, but queries what place humanity can and should have in a challenging and unstable world world um so like those last themes i mean we we see in all these other movies that um like you know humans shouldn't uh dominate nature and uh 
like what is what is human's place in the world but i think that what me what us mononoke does is does claim a place for humans like the ironworks have a sense of legitimacy and validity to them um it's not that uh i mean at the end lady aboshi says she's going to build a better a better town um so maybe it she's going to improve her relationship with the forest somewhat but do i believe her you know (laughs) she's you know she just 15 minutes ago (laughs) killed a god so uh (laughs) but she did get her arm cut off so yeah um yeah i guess that's another kushana and she was carried by wolves that'll change a person Um, i would i'd say so but like I, Lady Eboshi is just such a, a such a prominent perspective and she takes like the villain role in terms of the action she takes at the end. Um, but like, there's, like I said, we just see so much humanity through through the Ironworks. I don't think Miyazaki's trying to say the Ironworks aren't good. Humans shouldn't advance in in technology. Um, you know, it's 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 the, the, the I think maybe the movie is more of trying to say we got to figure out how to coexist how to manage that evolution of technology i think and in, in for a person who often does kind of have that return to the the countryside type of themes like uh stop accelerating technology you get those vibes from his earlier movies this is less i think that that of uh that that theme that message more of a we you know technology will advance maybe at this point he's seen he's seen more he's seen enough like we things things will move forward we just got to not completely destroy the planet at the same time um, is maybe <laughs> well i think it's this it's interesting because in this case like we have this because i mean honestly like what's going on in this movie is like might like it's like whoever is the strongest like there, so we have these interesting like interactions between we have the ironworks, which here we see a lot of Iboshi's power. We see a lot of the power that they have over nature, over they're able to, they're able to kill a god, they're able to harm um, Moro, and I mean they almost kill Mononoke, and we have this son, and we have this, but then also they're living under fear from the samurai and this, uh, I think his Lord Asano and also like the emperor and Ashitaka comes from a land, not ruled by the emperor. Mm. Like he's, he's come from they where he, mm. like there's a line in the beginning where they, the emperor pushed them so far away. So he, so he's traveled a long way and he is now in like the emperor's land. And there's a lot of these other opposing like oppressive forces and so Iboshi, I mean, really, like, okay, like, if we're if you take the nature out of the story, Iboshi is like the story of, and the Ironworks is this story of like this woman who recruits other women who have been sold into slavery, teaches them how to shoot, and makes them these very important figures in her own society she's created, and the men know their place, and there's a lot of mutual respect. And it's kind of like, you know, quote unquote, what we would say, like, you know, what some people would think would be like the perfect feminist fantasy. But like, really, we're talking more about we want more of this, like, you know, equality, but like, but then also we see here, but then when you bring the nature back into it, they're also an oppressive force. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we're dealing with gods, like, you know, they've also killed like the wolves have killed a lot of people. And there's a lot of everyone's hurting and it's all very valid, but it's also this interesting like interplay of like, like 
I hurt you, you hurt me, they hurt me, you hurt them, they hurt you, like, hmm. and so Cycle it's interesting. violence is yeah, but it's all, trope. Yes, but it's also a really interesting, like, talk about power, because, like, hmm. everyone has a lot of power in certain aspects, which is, I think is part of why it's so morally ambiguous, because it's not, like, yes, Iboshi, like, um, hurt the boar. Ultimately, Ashitake is the one who killed it. But then we also have this, the women are trying to protect the ironworks from the samurai. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of interplay going on, which I think is part of why this makes it so interesting. And the, the morally grayness, because there is not a clear oppressor. They're all playing together and just trying to exist. And that's also that, that co like, cause the thing is, yeah, the ironworks and the forest can probably coexist, but there was this outside factor. The emperor was like, give me the head of the deer god. And then also the whole time they were like conspiring to kill Iboshi, like in the background. They're like, mm-hmm. do we need her? Yeah, it's a good point that uh, th- I think painstaking steps are taken by Miyazaki to not make Iboshi and the Ironworks this kind of villainous uh, side. And I think I, I saw a quote from him. Part of it is making Iboshi being a woman, like is, uh, and also the women run the ironworks. Yeah, a lot. I think like other than that being maybe like an, an appealing subversion to him, it's just like the reason a reason to do that narratively is because if it's yes. like a man running the ironworks, then it's just more of a clear villain, more of a clear oppressor. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, Lady Iboshi becomes this uh, more radical figure. Um, as 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 she's characterized, and yeah, like they, they they're being attacked by the samurai and the emperor, and um, like there's this whole other conflict which uh we we don't see a lot of, but has its own uh, ambiguities to it. And then there's uh yeah they they've reclaimed some sort of power over the forest with the advent of of the their guns and uh and you know we we see the gods and like they're not they're not like presented um in like this infallible way i mean we see the new the new boar god uh that comes in and his solution is just to charge at them into the trap anyway and uh yep. it's like like they they i don't think any of them come across as um these these completely sacred figures even the the actual like god the deer god that we see is more of just a distant um objective type the figure that uh is like well, he's for, not really... more of a force of nature than a person yeah yeah that's what i was like he's literally just life and death like yeah so uh, yeah, I think I think that's kind of the whole conflict, um, and this is uh, I think this at its heart is probably the, the one of the most appealing things about this film to yeah to a lot definitely. of people. Yeah, is, is how do how do you relate to that, Ali? Well, I mean, I just really like seeing both sides. I'm not really, I mean, I don't know. I don't consider myself a gray person in morality, but I do love seeing how you know there's always two sides to a story, right? And you can't just side with one without knowing the other. And the cycle of violence I'd mentioned before, it's my favorite trope. That's why The Last of Us is my favorite game. I like seeing how, you know, if you're rooting for a character still, you don't support all of their actions. And that's also part of why, you know, it was a huge appeal for Korra for me. Because I don't I mean, it, it had to be influenced by this movie, right? A little bit, at least with like the spiritual stuff. Yeah. I mean, especially Avatar, we'll talk about. Yeah. Um no, I mean, you guys covered basically the, the premise. But that's other than, you know, having a lot of strong women, that's definitely like the number one reason I like this movie is because there's not really an actual just one villain. Everybody is bad in their own right. 
Yeah, and I think that appeals to people maybe more than a, 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 a Nausicaa presents maybe the Valley of the Winds as more more of the the heroes. Um, but I, I think I think he's going for similar things in Nausicaa. Yeah. This is even more of a fleshed out version of uh, that that ambiguity. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's I think it's presenting nature more of as it is as just like a force um, in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, I'm gonna talk about we we talked about this like living notion. Um, here's a, a quote from Susan Napier on the the solutions presented uh, by by Mononoke. She says, at its most fundamental level, the movie asks, can we live ethically in a cursed world? Um, and if so, how? Princess Mononoke offers two possible, uh, two related possible solutions. The first is simply to live. Ikiro, uh, the catchphrase emblazoned on the movie posters and uttered by, and uttered by Ashitaka to the desperate San as she struggles to deal with her fear and resentment of humanity. In context, it tells us we cannot give up no matter what, a message that Miyazaki felt imperative in the emotionally apathetic landscape of 1990s Japan. The second is to see with eyes unclouded, a challenge as the movie presents both bloodthirsty beast attacks and relentless human industrialization and asks us to observe all sides with clarity and objectivity. Um, and I definitely think that last, that last message is playing into what we've been talking about with it's just trying to see things like objectively and trying to sort through what's right. Um, mm-hmm. is, 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 a, but, uh, this, this notion of live, um, you know, not just, uh, I think maybe persevere, um, yeah. a, a good way of saying it too. Um, but, uh, that, that's definitely, I think a very resonant message, like, uh, to me in our, in our current times, it's like, uh, mm-hmm. Miyazaki is, is, is presenting this really dark world with, um, terrible things happening throughout the entire movie from every side, um, with no easy solutions to anything. And uh, definitely something he wants to say is, like, we have to keep on trying and living anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, like, a big force of what uh, Ashitaka is 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 trying to give to the world. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think this movie uh, plays really well currently. Um, oh, totally. <laughs> all, all of Miyazaki's movies with our current, uh, with our continued environmental degradation, of course. But um, just <laughs> the darker the world gets, I feel like. Uh, yeah, the more Mon- you have to try harder. Monoke resonates in, in in that regard. For me, when I like in regards to this live statement, for me, it's kind of I, I feel mixed about it because as people, you know, we're always going to be industrializing, urbanizing, doing what have you with the environment. So it's like you have to live, but also be careful about what you do in your life, you know, make the right choices, but you know, what is right, quote unquote, it's uh, that statement alone is kind of, it can be taken as gray and I kind of don't know how to feel about it, but it, you know, ultimately it's supposed to be positive, but like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's definitely like, uh, I think coming from a perspective of understanding things, uh, we might be doing things wrong and understanding yeah. that the world is such a cursed place. I mean, I think, you know, been in, uh, personified into the curse on, mm. uh, on, on Ashitaka. Um, and, you know, I think we live in a pretty cursed world currently, in a lot <laughs> yeah. of different aspects. Um, and it's like understanding that we're not doing things great. And then I think it's like very mm. easy to just get discouraged, um, and, uh, and not try to make things better. And I think, um, trying to emphasize the, the importance of trying um, yeah. is a big thing he's getting across here. Cause I do think this is probably his darkest uh, world, his darkest movie. Um, Let's say so. It's the, per- the, perf- the like... perfect context to, uh, I think, try to get that message through. 
Well, it's like, interestingly, I've kind of interpreted the ending, I think, a bit differently, but I definitely think it contributes to this idea of live, but I think maybe I have a bit of a darker view on it in that. please, tell me. (laughs) In that, uh, so Nausicaa ends, and it's a very hopeful ending, that there's hope for humanity, there's hope for the world, like, we can, you know, be the change. Uh, That's not how this movie ends. This movie ends with the death of a god, and it's and to me what this represented is and i don't know this is going to sound really dumb but like have y'all seen the history channel show like life after people no but it sounds amazing okay so in in this show it's like it'll be like 20 this was an older show and then they came up with like a new show it's like life after and again it's just life after people and it and different episodes would be like 20 years after people like this is what san francisco looks like and like talking about like what would happen to our buildings to our structures what nature would do why are there animals like how how things would return and to me that's what this this is what happens when when the dear god dies so you know his power is released we see you know, the the earth takes back the the ironworks. It takes over, you know, the hills and it kind of heals everything that's been damaged. And and I also this probably definitely heavily influenced either not maybe not directly, maybe more through how this in, influenced Avatar and then Korra, but this definitely feels like it impacted the ending of Shira, but and how that Shira healed Etheria. But here it's more of this to me, it's this more inevitableness of you're a human. And your life will end, but this world will endure like this, like just live. And like, you're not, not in that, like your problems aren't important, but like, no matter what you do, the earth will remain. The earth will like take and give and the earth will do what it will. Like life will persevere after you. And so this kind of this idea of, and so, you know, and there is a really nice, like that, the end where Lady Boshi's like, I'm going to make a better village. And it's like, yeah, that's really cool. Like, that's really great. But it's like, but then it's like, even though you killed a god, that doesn't mean anything. Like, <laughs> life and death will continue after you. And so it's kind of this idea. I, to me, that's kind of how I interpret it. Like, yes, live and persevere, but also, like, it's nothing to the enduringness of nature, of this earth. Of everything that you did is still meaningless now at this moment because the the earth is still healed. And, and it's cool that you got that really deep meaning out of it, Lady Eboshi, but, like, you're going to die in, like, 30 years and it doesn't matter. So it's kind of what I got out of it was this very much like the nature still wins in this movie. Like they kill the deer God and yet there's been so much death. This movie is very violent. Like all, all, basically all of the gods we've been introduced to have died. All the boars we saw, they're dead. But even though the gods are gone, this, this world endures, the forest endures. Yeah. Which, which I, yeah, I I think that's a great uh, read on the ending. I think that's a, that's like a really interesting take that I do think the movie's probably trying to say this kind of notion of um, as much as we are killing ourselves through global warming, the planet uh, and, you know, changing the planet, it will, the planet's going to stay here after we're gone. And like, gonna... like, like, yeah, like, you know, we're heating the, or like, you know, to bring it into, you know, the present. And, and again, this um, like, literally they fought, you know, they fought the forest and the forest won. And even though you killed the god, the ironworks is gone. Right. So they, they, of- they accomplished this incredibly radical mm-hmm. action through, action. uh, yeah. through, 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 through killing, through killing the deer god. And, and yet, uh, you know, life and death continues. They, it, yeah. uh, through the action of, of killing it, like, uh, revitalizes the, the forest and, like, in a new way. We do- and it's like global warming, like, you know, in a couple years, the planet will no like, and actually this is happening now in areas where humans can no longer live. It's too hot. The water is risen. It, we are making the earth uninhabitable for us. The earth will continue to exist 
and life will continue on earth just probably without humans so like beautiful (laughs) yep there you go the end yeah, I mean, I think you're you're capturing the complexities of the ending and that I think you can interpret that as a hopeful ending. Like we, a lot yes, of a- no, definitely. I would say, you know, it would depend kind of on the person, like just depending on how your view on things. But I, I do. I definitely do think it's a hopeful ending, but it's not hopeful in the way that like it's not hopeful. Like Nausicaa's ending is hopeful in the way that human and nature will reclaim the earth and it will endure. But here and this is much more of a. The earth will endure regardless of the human existence. Yes. So both are that's hopeful, more realistic. but different. Like that uh, makes sense. And, and I think in terms of actions taken, it's pretty similar, the ending. That's like there's a thing sprouting, things. Yes. But Nausicaa yeah. does frame it more positively. And this is, uh, it is more kind of more of a complex framing, despite it's a, it is a very like happy, happy tone. Well, it's like ultimately end. they didn't do anything. Like the thing was like <laughs> Nausicaa ended this like really long yeah struggle and prevented death the dear god died it, it, even though they returned the head the god died because the night stalker couldn't be out in the daylight and he uh, still died also yeah. maybe because he got his head cut off i don't know yeah, probably <laughs> probably because of that but maybe. like maybe it might be related but like you know this it's very they're very because ultimately the bad thing still happens in this film mm. And, yeah. and, and that's and that's why it's also interesting. That's why I think another reason why Ashitaka's character is so interesting is like he does intervene, but when he does, people die. Like, and I don't mean that in that saying that he's a bad character, but like when Asuka intervenes, it's like awesome, like good. Like when I say awesome, I mean like one awesome in that like she's literally this very much godly figure in Nausicaa. and like you know everyone like listens to her and she has all the authority and all the power, and then. Ashitaka, like, he just shoots your head off. And he's able yeah. to save people. He's able to save individuals, but ultimately he's not able to save the deer god and like protect the forest. Mm. Yeah, and Ashitaka has the cursed arm, which is yeah. uh, the source of a lot of his killing. Nasuka does at yes. some point kill people, but is then yes. grapples with the morality of that, which we don't see kind of see as much of. Which Ashitaka says stuff like he regrets it, but then ultimately it becomes a necessary evil for him. He's mm. kind of moving on. Um, he but, also can't uh, really stop it at some point. I think. Yeah, really that's yeah. He has it. no control. I think. Th- I think. Well, that's why I want to come back to Ashitaka's curse because the ending also presents a hopeful ending in terms of the characters. Ashitaka yeah. seems right. cured from his yes. curse at the end, and then that we get a happy ending for our our, our couple. That's true. Um, and that they're yes. gonna be together. Well, and in that the shows form the that hybridity that Susan Napier is talking about mm-hmm. is that you know the literal um, the humans and the forest can exist peacefully because San's like no. I will not live amongst you people. I'm going back to the forest with the wolves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and he's he's going to stay in the town and try to help there. He's too invested in in everything that's happening. It's interesting though how her character. Like, I'm glad they didn't go yeah. the whole like I'm a human. Let's get married, and you're going to be my wolf girl um, wife. And she's like, um, I don't want to live in a house and be a person. <laughs> that sounds terrible. I think not, <laughs> sir. Like, I, I'm glad. Like, I think that's. I I think the the ending is very interesting on that front. I think is the Again, this movie will pull out the rug from underneath you. And not that I expected like this like grand romantic ending, but it's interesting that, you know, they never try to turn this like, and it's never come be a human kind of like, you know, kind of that Tarzan kind of mentality. It's more this, you know, live, don't give up, don't throw it all away, you know, you know, in the name of a God, in the name of, you know, this cause that will continue after you. 
Yeah, and I think in so we we you know we get some maybe hopefulness from the characters. We get some, uh, and, and maybe the tone of the movie. We get uh, some darkness from the some the, the overall like message and the the deer gods and just general like the end of the movie. You know they they the deer god's head gets gets cut off and by the way it's like very upsetting for me watching yeah. watching that it's, it's oh, like uh like uh, one you watch like one i'm already sad that like <laughs> okoto's dead and then like and then i'm like no i don't want moro to die and then mm. like it's very upsetting like and then they, they literally all die in like a five minute span <laughs> And then, and then there's this whole thing. It's like a really dark, and it's like, oh my gosh, gosh, this is like very, very upsetting. And then they actually do get the head back on, and but then no, it doesn't matter. It's still yeah. dead anyway. Yeah, that was uh, something. That, that was some, that was upset. I think that might have been the most upsetting for me, other than watching them like murder everyone all the time. Was um, the was definitely I was like, yes, they did it. And then I was like, oh god, it's it's dead. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like, oh no, it's like, wow, that's uh, brutal. It's it's still yeah. dead, but that, but then it's like, okay, then the forest is kind of regrowing back, but also it's not in the exact same way. Yeah. It's like this isn't this grand forest that we saw, and then we end on a shot of um, one of the Kodama uh, still there in the yes. forest, which that, maybe me, represents that... that the forest will be there in some some extent still. To me, it made me think that you know it's coming back, like the forest, and you, you, we know that, like we know how trees work, <laughs> like like the forest will come back, like. Yeah, this wasn't any forest though. This was like a crazy, uh, yeah, this old, is a special giant, spirit, spiritual forest. forest. Yeah. Can we talk about the Kodama. I want to know your guys' thoughts. Yeah, I mean, the Kodama, I think, are the iconic uh, creature from this movie in terms yes. of Miyazaki's uh, line of of creatures that persevere. Yeah, what do you think of them, Allie? Well, just I like how you see them in the beginning they're still kind of all around being you know just little dudes enjoying their home i love them they used to creep me out i didn't like the noise they made um (laughs) but then i don't remember when you can see them like start to disappear probably when everything hits the fan in the wrong way and then at the end like we're talking about the sort of hopeful message that it leaves you could see like two of them coming back to the forest um i don't know i like them a lot i just think they're adorable and i really want like a little plushie of them yeah, pl- yeah, I'm sure that's sure that's out there. They totally the have to do a thing. Yeah, I didn't see any. I don't think I saw anyone have the plushie. I don't know if I'm looking for a Kodama plush. Though that's the top of my wait list, at the but, Ghibli Museum or at the store that I went to. Yeah, I don't know. It's probably there somewhere. Um, I'm gonna look online. Definitely a statue, at least of a Kodama. Yes. Yeah, I'll look it up now. I actually, say they definitely like they creep me out, but I like them. <laughs> that's good. Like in in this I, dark movie, this is like the cute thing we get is the creepy yeah, cute. We get the creepy cute. It's kind of like a doll. Like my thing, it's definitely the noise. The noise is what's yeah. so unsettling about them. But I also they're also a comforting thing because also they are cute. Like they they all look different, which is something I appreciate too. If they all looked the same, I would have had to turn the movie. Yeah, but like they all have creepy, like not creepy. They all have cute little faces, and they're all different. And like I, my favorite favorite is when, um, uh, Ashitaka is like carrying. Yes. Uh, that dude and then the other and then the uh, the Kodama are like they're carrying each other like mimicking him it's the best like that's like my favorite it's so cute and I, I do and I like what they you know symbolize like you know they and like I, there's a part where Ashitaka is like oh they mean the forest is healthy and of course the villagers are like no it means the deer gods here yeah because you know Ashitaka and his people have a more um like synchronous relationship with nature yeah um, whereas the, that's kind of what that's representative of, whereas uh byron works are more afraid of it um but yeah the kodama is just these like uh like little trickster children they're like things i'm sure this inspired it 
or I don't know, this might be just a, I don't know if this is like a weird coincidence because now I'm not sure when the, I don't know when the first Zelda game came out, but they yeah, just, they are, they are the like Crux. the Zelda things. Yeah. The Crux. Yeah. Yeah. Then I'm like, I think it's probably similar, similar time period. Um, but uh, yeah, that that's a, a good one of the, let's go through the, the characters a little more. I mean, we've talked about Ashitaka, I think, and given a good summary of them. I will note uh, the Ashitaka, he comes from the, uh, the Amishi people in the beginning of the movie, which, um, are were a ethnic minority in historical Japan. Um, kind of. I like love a, that you guys are spilling the facts that I had no idea about. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know that you don't get the census from the movie, but um, they one like thing, briefly mention like. Yeah, they say the word amishi, which is like which is a historical people. Um, you know, they're not like the same as the Japanese. Um, they lived in Japan. Um, it's it, but yeah, they're like we got driven out of this area and we're about to, you know. So, um, Ashitaka is like a. Uh, uh, comes from like a, a disenfranchised people relative to, and they're the a dying as, people. They mention they yeah. mention this actually in the beginning of the film when they're like, our bloodline runs weak. Like that's that's definitely like you know at first you're like that's just some big fantasy talk, and it's like no, they're dying out. Like, <laughs> and then and then of course they have to give up their prince now because he's been cursed. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, continuing Nashitaka Aang comparisons, you know, I think the the Amishi people to the Airbenders dying off, I yeah. think is pretty strong. Yeah. yeah. Um, Briefly, to briefly talk about that in terms of the influence, because it's hard not to talk about this. Um, yeah. My, Mike and Brian's number one influence is Mononoke. Like, definitely. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. Like, we've talked about Nausicaa, uh, which influences them a lot, which I think is is true. But um, we've, we've talked about, uh, you know, Appa and the cat bus. Uh, this movie, though, like the if you if you're unaware of this comparison uh, avatar book one finale if you haven't watched avatar before i guess you could skip it but, uh you've already been spoiled by watching mononoke so you haven't the, watched avatar sorry. pause this and go watch avatar the, the the avatar book one finale ang turns into the koizilla this uh the, the, <laughs> the giant the giant blue z- blue th- thing which uh you know we, you see a scene in the middle of this movie when we see the night walker for the first time uh you know that's where that comes from okay <laughs> the dai darabochi uh is the and also this the i mean granted there's a happier ending in avatar but we ultimately well uh, kind of not so happy but like we we literally are killing gods in avatar Mm -hmm. and yeah yeah i mean i thought zhao Zhao hunting for the the spirits i think is similar to them hunting for that literally the same and then in the book two finale you get uh, azula Killing shooting, a god. Killing Aang as he's in transition into the Avatar state, which is what Eboshi does when... Oh, uh, my God. Which, when Ali the, is so shook. <laughs> that's, I, I that, really am. That's what you kill the deer god as it's turning For into the, the night. I was extremely upset. I was like, yeah, you didn't kill him. And I was like, wait, she just killed him. Like, I was like <laughs> extreme. Not, I mean, I was upset in Avatar, but I was specifically talking about... Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, no. When she zaps Aang, I'm like, oh my god! They just, they just took their finale moments from Mononoke. That's just how Avatar worked, I guess. Also, the spirits—they um, mention a spirit world in this movie. It's not like a super. It's not clear if that's what's going on. To what extent the the forest merges with the spirit world? I mean, spirit world is also just a large mythology thing in a lot of cultures going back a long time. And also, um, like Princess Mononoke herself, they make a moment. They, I mean, there's a very specific moment in the film where they're like, "She's not human or a wolf." Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, avatar? yeah, that's true. Yeah, she's the yeah. avatar. Princess Mononoke is the avatar. <laughs> San and Ashitaka and she's Asuka, they're, all the <laughs> they're all the avatar. They're all the avatar. They're all the avatar. Um, yeah, there's a good point, Ali, on the end of Shira in terms of like revitalizing the Earth. Does seem very similar to the end of this movie. We've also we've also compared the end of Shira to uh, the end of Castle in the Sky, where there's a, there's a 
Delaney said that. Uh, where <laughs> it was me. It was Delaney. Delaney. Where there's a thing in the sky too. The the, the yes, thing turns into a, a tree. In the, sky. the thing turns into a tree. It so yes, that's what. Yeah, that's why I'm saying like all these. All these I haven't uh, seen Castle in the Sky. I'm gonna have to do that. I also know it's yeah. literally the Iron Giant, so I need to watch it. Yes. Well. Eh, yes. Maybe. Yes. yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, you're seeing most of the big ones, Delaney. But yeah, Castle in the Sky would be the, an up, an up there one too. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Mononoke just uh, like revitalized the fascination with, I think, animation in terms of like seeing it through a more legitimate lens, seeing it through an adult lens in America. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I think Japan had been seeing Miyazaki and other anime movies, but um, I, I think a lot of people watch Mononoke and and were really inspired. I mean, through looking for research from a lot of different sources, they, I just, I was struck by everything, everything I was reading kept mentioning how Mononoke most demonstrates what animation is capable of. Um, which, uh, I feel like, uh, all of Miyazaki's movies do, but, uh, in this one in particular, I think is, is what apparently struck a lot of people. I think we read a Susan Napier quote, which kind of cited that, um, Roger Ebert's Princess Mononoke review, which he loved, uh, the beginning of it's just talking about how, um, it, like, uh, Mononoke shows the possibilities of animation. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, but great animation can make make the mind sing, he says. I want to um, know in like what regard is he focusing on? Like, because there's the gross animation you get with the animals that are like demons and like the worms are coming out of them, which is disgusting, but also really well done. There's also just the magical creature that is the deer god. There's like mm-hmm. the fight, not the fight scenes, but like, you know, the scenes where weapons are involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of... I mean, I'm assuming he means everything, but I'm curious to know what yeah, he's I mean, focused on. It's a lot of fantastical elements that you need to, to animate, but it's also in the context of like a gritty, uh, like violent movie you'd kind of normally see. And it's like yeah, the like, combination of those things you can't really, really get outside of this. Like, that's really what I think. And I think this is like the biggest frustration overall when people are like animations for children, because that's what mm-hmm. Disney and DreamWorks keeps feeding you is like this. Like, that's another thing that I just love about all of Miyazaki's films, which I think is what Dylan was getting about, is it's not just the animation. Like, duh, animation's pretty, guys. Like, duh. <laughs> and, but, you know, another interesting thing I did know in your outline is that this is one of the first films to use CGI and um, background painting, which it uses to amazing effect. But also, like, it's not, it's like, you can make a pretty movie and tell a beautiful story. Like, mm. animation doesn't have to just be like candle singing. Like, you can have, like, like you're talking about this gritty violent but also a beautiful complicated like this movie is so complicated there's so much conflict there's so much interplay between the factions in this film but also you can tell an important story regardless of whether you think quote unquote it's adult or not these are stories very important stories and you can tell them like a good story is a good story it doesn't matter if you read it in a comic book you read it in a book you watched it in a movie you watched it in an animated film like it good story is a good story and i think that's really what miyazaki is like Beautiful animation, great stories. Like it's not, yeah. it's not that hard, people, to like comprehend this. Yeah, and I think the complexity of the story is kind of told through the the use of the animation. Yes, it's um, another thing. And and we and we noted that Delaney noted that the this is if you watch this movie, I think I think this is one of the benefits you get of going in order through the catalog like we've been doing. This movie looks really different than the pre the old the yes. previous ones. Yeah, there's a lot of shots which are like, wow, that is like clearly not like hand drawn in the same well, way also, as previous movies. Also were. the timeless element. Like when we talk about animation, like, you know, I've been watching, you know, my whole stuff, my whole life. Like I've only, I, I've always preferred animation and like, 
All I do is watch cartoons and play video games, people. That's all yes. I do. Those are my top two activities. And so, and even now, like I am, like it is 2020, and to sit and watch this film from 1997 is beautiful. I want you to know if you watch The Matrix right now, you want to die. <laughs> Wait. Yeah, I think live action films look look a lot older. Than but then to watch like films. even Nausicaa, the that movie is gorgeous. Animation yeah. definitely holds up better than live action does in terms and of like, like granted, you know, do we like it when they remaster Peter Pan? Yeah. No. Like, oh, never mind. I thought you meant live action remaster. <laughs> oh no, my god, I meant the animated film. Okay, I'm so but, sorry. But like we're talking about like you can have this beautiful like gorgeous. Like not all not all animation is you know Disney movies, which there's nothing wrong with Disney movies. They're also valid works of animation. But like we're talking about, like it just like it it astounds it astounds me every time. Like I've watched Nausicaa, I've watched My Neighbor Totoro, and then to to go through the catalog in order, which is what we're doing, and then like they're like Nausicaa, full stop, gorgeous, and then to get to here, and it's like how does it get prettier? <laughs> like the one right before this was that Whisper of the Heart. Yep. Yep. Okay, uh, and that, that was that, and that movie is incredibly gorgeous. Yeah, um, I think that this uh, and um, you know Pompoco before. I mean, these are like a few in a row of like some of the most gorgeously animated films of all well, time. Well, even and only yesterday did some really interesting. Like, there's a lot yeah, of interesting yeah. animation. We've been we've been talking history. about Takahata's continued blending of uh, yeah. animation styles, which continues into Pompoco, and we're about to see that again in the next movie we'll cover, or in terms of a different style. Um, and uh, but yeah, I mean, Mononoke is uh, just the, the amount of uh, effort and uh, cre- like uh, time and everything that went into the the animation here, and the, the use of the CG. It's like definitely a first for Miyazaki and Ghibli, and I think it's very striking. I think it's like all all great digital digital painting and, and use of uh, computer graphics in general. It's like ten percent maybe of the movie, which is has some element of uh, computer generation to it. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think it like I think it's perfect for this type of story, which has these like crazy complex um, action and. Uh, just I mean, the bombs going elements. off, like the mines. Mm. One incredibly dark moment in the movie, but then also like the power of that scene, just the way it was animated. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think that's like a big part of uh, of Mononoke, and it's it's. Uh, its appeal is just the the incredible visualness of it, and um, you know we're gonna we'll continue to see this. I think through a lot of Ghibli movies, and let's let's see how it comes across in Spirited Away a few years later. I think that'll be interesting to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, getting uh, getting back to some of the we're going through the characters. I mean, I think we want to start to dig into Eboshi a little bit more too. But um, other other thoughts we talked about Ashitaka San. Um, it's. Uh, I'll say my favorite. I think my favorite scene of the movie is uh, when Ashitaka first sees Sun. Yes, yes. <laughs> and yes. She is she is sucking the blood out of uh, this giant wolf, and she so turns bad. and looks at him, and then she like spits the blood out as it like so runs bad. down her face. I have never loved a woman more in my entire life. Well, that, that's what Ashitaka must like because he's like instantly, <laughs> instantly like uh, all about San, and he just must must have fallen in love with her. Like right, looking like yeah, you're splitting like, oh butt out, blood God. out, <laughs> like right, like. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. I mean, it's so, it's so funny. That I also just really like, I mean, obviously she's not going to be in like a beautiful dress because she lives in the woods, but like it's practical. Her outfit is stunning. She is gorgeous. And then she's like, her. leave. Like, yeah. <laughs> get out of my house. Her, and he's her, like, oh my God, I love you so yeah, much. Exa- exactly. Yes. That's. Ashitaka that's, is all queer women. They're <laughs> also just people who love women. Everyone looking at that seeing San probably. But yeah. For the record, everyone's like, oh my God. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's the, the, the greatest introduction. Uh, it's like, okay, yeah, that's what yeah, this character just, is. Just you just, see how, like, she doesn't give any ifs about anything. Yeah. Except for her family. Incredibly gritty and, uh, every, yeah, and gross and everything <laughs> like yeah, yeah this i'm, so, I'm shocked that that's your favorite scene because of how gross it is oh well that's why it's great uh, it, it's, it's stunning <laughs> like you're like what it's it's i uh, just ashitaka's reaction yeah and then uh and then next time he sees her he's like trying to save her at all costs like okay yeah, yeah sure. i would do this exact same thing <laughs> Any any other thoughts on on San? I mean, I think like it's an uh, interesting uh, just use of this like uh, feral person, yeah, um, kind of ra- <laughs> literally liter- literally raised by wolves, and uh, yeah. you know, so it's very it, again, it's relatable to times we live in, especially being like a female identifying person, not just like you know in terms of the environment. It's her attitude; it, it's not so nice to see, but you know, you can relate to it. And once you put yourself in her shoes, it makes a lot of sense. I also just, I don't know. I'm a wolf girl. I relate so hard. Well, also, like, you know, she is, she also is that kind of embodiment of the environmentalism. Like, she's like, even when uh, her mother, when Moro is like, no, like, we're going to let the boars be dumb. And she's like, I'm going to go be Okoto's eyes. Goodbye, mom. Mm -hmm. And her mom's like, oh, can you two go with her? Like, I really, like, I really enjoy that. And, like, San's just her, also, like, her, so she is very much, you know, you know, this very bloodthirsty, like she wants revenge on um, Iboshi. But then we also see these very like tender moments between her and the wolves, which I think is like that. Those are some of my favorite scenes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Moro just uh, like uh, clearly caring for her despite just being this feral. Beast oh, here I have to it. share. That's why she loves her. Let me share my... I think Moro, despite Moro being like, no concern to anyone else, basically. Yeah. Let me share my wife's favorite moment was when okay. Moro's like, ah, you, my ugly, love <laughs> Yeah, daughter. yeah. Yes. That is... No, my wife was like, this is the best. She <laughs> <laughs> just call her my ugly daughter, yeah. Yeah, my wife was like, yes. <laughs> she has, what, your bipedal? Disgusting. Yeah, she's like, oh, I love my ugly daughter. It's so good. What <laughs> it's a so good. Moment. So good. Yeah, that's all the memes now. We're all more. Okay. Um, yeah, and then just like Mizaki's like not being afraid to display this type of uh, female character, both in terms of San and Lady Eboshi. Just yeah. um, very radical, even uh, even for now, I think. Um, well, yeah. When Lady Eboshi picked up that gun, I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> No, don't okay, let's talk, let's talk about Lady Eboshi. There's a lot here I think we haven't even gotten into with her yet. Um, so here's a long quote uh, from Susan Napier, which starts to get into a lot of um, things we're talking about, a lot of different topics. Uh, she says, when I first met Miyazaki, he told me that Eboshi was his favorite character in the movie. Uh, though that surprised me over the years, I came to realize Eboshi is a remarkable portrait of leadership, a, a character tough, smart, and driven, but also capable of startling generosity and ultimately of compromise. That Eboshi is female is important as well. As I've written elsewhere, Miyazaki's ability to defamiliarize long-held conventions is one of his most striking talents. He subverts many Japanese traditions in Princess Mononoke, the sacredness of the emperor, the nobility of the samurai, but his most impressive piece of subver- subversion is his incorporation of so many dominant females female characters if it, it uh, not only refreshes the traditional jidaigeki which is like historical fiction i think format but it also stimulates the audience to see the world from a different angle as a female lady aboshi forces the audience members to reconsider their notion of the conventional villain role 
Uh, it's likely that he saw. It's likely that Miyazaki parsar, saw part of himself in Eboshi. She is, after all, the head of a community who is forced to make tough decisions and still not lose her humanity. A complex dynamic that Miyazaki faced every day at Studio Ghibli. He demonstrated these complications most strikingly in his portrayal of Eboshi's workforce, which consists of many former prostitutes and sufferers of Hansen's disease, leprosy. Miyazaki had long been interested in medieval ironworkers who were often. Uh, formed outcast communities in wild mountains and forests. His decision to make them female, however, contravenes the historical view of women as polluting forces who might contaminate ironworkers' work sites. Even more radical was his notion of having Iboshi employ lepers to make rifles, the weapons that she plans using against the forest gods. The combination of Iboshi's compassion in employing the lepers with the fearsome nature of the work she has them do uh, strikingly illustrates the kind of moral compromises that being a leader or simply being human can force upon us. That was put perfectly. Lady Bush is the best. Just, yeah, the scene of her, you see, it's like, oh, these, uh, you know, seeing these these lepers making these forces of destruction. It's uh, the most, I think, uh, summation of the the moral grayness, I think, of what's going on with the Boshi and the movie itself. They're like, she comes in here and she, like, changes our bandages and Mm -hmm. she's really nice to us and tends our wounds. And it's like, wow. Yeah. What do you mean? Wow! <laughs> it's just it's okay. I'm just talking about like the like the amount of like so. Lady Boshi clearly has a lot of empathy, and there's also another scene that I really enjoyed was when she's talking to Jiko, and he and they're going over like whatever stupid piece of paper he has from the emperor, and he like calls some of the, she calls some of the women over, and she's like, "Do you know what this is?" And they're like, "No," and she's like, "This is from the emperor," and they're like, "What?" And so she's like, "Like she, these women are important to her. Like she wants to educate them. She wants to." Like she wants to protect them and she clearly cares about them a lot and they care about her. Like that's a lot. That's a big driving part of like the final act of the movie is them being like, we have to get Lady Eboshi back and Lady Eboshi needs to come back to protect us. And then of course, on top of that, there is also Lady Eboshi that again, these, you know, the decisions of leader, but then also she's kind of been twisted by Jiko and like the will of the emperor to like kill the deer God. And, but of course she's being manipulated by Jiko and all the other losers that are with him. <laughs> Yeah, although also, you know, just wanting to kill it for kill the dear purposes God. Yeah. of, uh, yeah, of, of uh, so When you say wow, you mean like she's just very not... She's just wow. Yeah, <laughs> it's fair. Like very, apart from being empathetic, just a good leader to her people. Yeah, there's, well, there's a lot. Like she, she's, she's a very empathetic character, but then also like, again, very complicated. Like we're talking about these, again, everyone's shades of gray, which is like how mm. stuff actually works. Yeah, that's just you know, how people are in real life. Yeah, I mean, you you see, like, how incredible of a leader and how much good she's doing to humanity. Right. And yet you also see the effects of what her striving for that, accomplishing then, that good can have on, uh, you know, nature and these other forces. But then really, I think what really sells me on Lydia Boshi is at the end when she's like, we're going to build a better village. And so for me, a lot of it, it's like, it's the, like, you can be morally great, but then you have to have the ability to learn from your actions. Like, can't you, she faced the consequences and then she learned from them. Yeah. Lady Eboshi never is, uh, she takes, she's kind of in the villain role in the narrative, um, but she's never presented as trying to do evil. You see why she's doing it and you're incredibly struck by why she's doing it and the good she's accomplishing because of what she's doing. And then, yeah, she she is still trying to do good at the end. And she's incredibly sympathetic the entire time. Um, like, I, I think we, we've kind of tracked these Eboshi-type characters, these um, 
maybe older middle-aged women who Miyazaki has throughout all of his movies. Um, a lot of them are not necessarily, some of them are in really sympathetic lights. Some of them are in more in, in villainous sides like uh, Kushana, although Kushana is also really sympathetic like Eboshi. I think Eboshi even more so. Um, I think Eboshi is like the, uh, the height of, of these characters, this trope of Definitely. Miyazaki has thread is like, she is like, I think the most complex, the, the most uh, like prominent in the film, um, one of Miyazaki's uh, highlight characters, I think, throughout his uh, his films, she gets the full circle. That's that we see like everything from we think she's a villain to wow, there's she's pretty complicated to she does the most evil act in the film, but she learns from it. She she you know she's saved by the wolves. She loses her arm. All these things happen, and she's like, we're going to build a better village, and and you could tell that that what that meant was better for the world like a better for nature like not such a like damaging village yeah um and uh i, I think i was mentioning this before but like the uh, a way in which kind of miyazaki is showing and i think this goes back to like what delaney and Ed, we we're all talking about before um showing all these disenfranchised people um yes. is uh is is a way we're accomplishing this moral greatness because it's a lot of these people that are maybe do, going against the forest, but uh, it's really striking his use. I mean, go we go back to uh, discussions. I mentioned this on the Porco Rosa podcast. You know, Miyazaki uh, doesn't has not. There's basically no thus far. I mean, I'm continuing to track this as I go. No uh, characters that aren't you know Asian or white in any of his movies. Um, so I like he's he's not portraying like like that type of uh different like uh diversity um not to, not portraying like sexual orientation or gender identity diversity or anything um definitely portrays a lot of female characters of course throughout his movie in like really incredible ways but in this movie he does he does uh interestingly sh- shows a lot of differently typed of uh disenfranchised people from the main character being from like uh an oppressed people in the Amishi. Um, and we see their, their plight in the beginning of the movie to, we see the lepers. We kind of, we kind of see d- disabled people um, and how, yes. and, and, and how that's uh, th- and how Eboshi is like propping them up and uh, how they're working towards good at the same time, creating evil. And it's really interesting. And um, we see uh, the, the women who were in, in slavery before um, Eboshi, uh, to, you know, somehow took them into the ironworks, like um, a lot of uh, different groups of people who um, Eboshi is bringing together, Ashitaka himself, and then the spirits, I think, are their own form of uh, disenfranchised, like, group, um, this, like, dwindling, like, old um, type of uh, entity that is dying off. Um, yeah, they talk yeah. about a lot of, like, the... Um... Okoto talks a lot about, you know, my, you know, about his tribe is also dwindling. Mm-hmm. And the, of like what happens when all these people are kind of coming into conflict for survival in, in a really cursed world is I think the epitome of this movie. Also, we see Moro and two wolves. That's it. Yeah. The, the Moro tribe is just three people and now two, right? Like at the end. Yeah. But technically um, four, but not really. San, I guess San is yeah. San's a wolf too. Yeah. Um, the yeah, boars are, I don't remember what the boars, like, I mean, there's a lot of them, but are they also dying out? And then there's, like, the apes. You yeah, know, like, they... like, because Okoto, like, comes, like, one, like, Nago, like, Nago's tribe's gone. And then Okoto is, like, we're, he, there is a line in the movie where he discusses that, like, they're, like, they're dying off. Yeah, I mean, we, we see their last stand, the boars. Yeah, and then I they guess, also right? literally all die. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's probably more somewhere else out there, but uh, yeah, the, the point being, this is yeah. things not going great for them. And uh, Boshi is, is kind of the first to discover how to use iron in this way. And mm-hmm. um, it's going to only get worse from here, I think, mm-hmm. for all of them. Um, yeah, with the apes, the scene with the apes, I think, is really interestingly animated. And, yes, uh, the apes look very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Why do they want to eat him? And they're like, oh, I want to eat them. But also, like, their their main thing is planting trees. So Yeah, like, that's all they want to do. And they're, <laughs> yeah. and they're upset. They're like, we plant the trees, and then they, they mess it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they just want to plant the trees. Um, I so can maybe excuse should... cannibalism, but draw the line at deforestation. <laughs> that's yes. what they're saying, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. they want to eat the, the human, right? It's uh, Yeah, you know, I mean, I guess hum- that's not cannibalism. <laughs> kind of monkeys but uh yeah that's i hope maybe aboshi will let the trees be planted now but also the forest is growing back on its own um yeah i t- continuing with the theme of the disenfranchised t- t- get, uh, susan napier talks about the the lepers and um and where that comes from from miyazaki she says miyazaki deliberately created characters outside of the traditional jidaigeki to show a more diverse and rich version of japanese history but perhaps his most interesting inclusion was the sufferers from Hansen's disease. According to Kano, he was inspired to do this by his visit to the Tama Zen Shonen, a leprosy sanatorium near his house. Though leprosy is only mildly contagious, the Japanese government in the 1990s still considered it a fearsome disease and imposed a strict isolation on sufferers. Miyazaki spoke of his shock when interacting with the inhabitants of the sanatorium, who somehow carried on with their lives in a robust and positive ways. Afterward, he noted in wonderment, in the middle of no matter what kind of misery, there is joy and laughter. In human life, which tends toward ambiguity, I have never seen a place which shows this much cl- that shows this with such clarity. Um, I find these sentences some of Miyazaki's most affecting ever, resonating more deeply than his diatribes against the stupidity and carelessness of humans. That the director could still, at a time of social troubles and, in- and inner stress, at some level, believe in humanity suggests the idealism that's still burned inside him. The Miyazaki does not take his idealism to unrealistic extremes. He said in a later interview, the inhabitants of Tatara, which I think is uh, the ironworks, um, are not all good people. There are stupid elements and crazy elements because that's what people are. Um, so, yeah, I think that 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 quote that she cites with Miyazaki talking about uh, his his visit to the sanatorium, seeing the lepers, who is still of an optimistic view on life, uh, definitely a big uh, component of this live uh, uh, theme um, where we, we've been talking about. I had no idea he did that. But that yeah, and he, he talks about this in uh, one of the recent documentaries I watched, too. Um, I don't know if he went back or he's recalling this again. Um, it's clearly a big, uh, big effect on him. Yeah. Um, I mean, we see a, you know, we see a, a sanatorium in, um, his, his, his last movie. Um, so, uh, oh, that's right. That's an, that's an effect that's influenced uh, there as well. I think that's what he was talking about in, in the, that documentary I watched. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think this kind of reinforces these themes of disenfranchised people, this, uh, these, this, this live uh, theme and just kind of insight on where Miyazaki's coming from as he's presenting this. Um, yeah, I think uh, glad we talked a lot about Lady Eboshi too. As she, yeah. She's so great. Uh, J- J- Jikobo or Jigo, I think is a character we haven't talked a ton about. He's in hard to describe who he is, where he comes he from. He sucks. A- I hate his shoes. <laughs> you hate his shoes. Yeah. They're annoying. He's annoying. That's sad. <laughs> Yeah, Miyazaki described he was like, I don't know if I want to make like a, a like a monk or like a spy or like, and so he's like, oh, I made him kind of all those things. So it's like not clear what Jikobo is, but uh, he's uh, trying to enact uh, this this decree of the emperor, um, and he interacts with uh, Ashitaka throughout his journey. 
Um, and he, to me, he's like the most villainous of the characters. But yes. even he does not like have a villainous disposition or seems to be intending to uh, harm. Um, he's just kind of acting kind of like how, how he's acting um, and, and shows the these outside influences, I think, on what's happening. Um, and uh, yeah, he's very like happy throughout the movie even though he's uh he's becomes more sinister i think throughout definitely an interesting character yeah, probably gross. the least the least uh deeply portrayed of, of all the the cast is um, he he's like a backtracking is he supposed to be a spy for the emperor or we don't know yes we don't really know he's a decree from the emperor um so presumably he's shady some, government figures yeah maybe yeah kind of what's going on again too reminiscent of real life yeah i mean i think yeah it's kind of like an outside uh sinister influence i think it kind of checks out uh that yeah. what, he's, what he's portraying and then just the the when they're in like the, the bear and then the boar skins um his, yeah. his agents it's very upsetting that was like my least favorite part of the movie i mean like it was good but i hated it every yeah. minute yeah and then we have Yakul, um, his, yes, uh, elk, his best elk character, steed. hands down, pretty much better than well, San, I have to say, he's <laughs> the best. Yakul's great. Um, got the Yakul plush, it's great. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. my god, you do that's amazing. Yeah, of course, yeah, cool. <laughs> it's Dylan, of course, he does. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I don't have too, too much to talk about. It's an interesting animal type, Yakul, like red yeah. and elk, yeah. Um, yeah, we. I mean, we we talk about it being historical. Op. It's set during this movie set during the Muromachi period, which is like the 1300s to 1500s. Um, so for and kind of Miyazaki's alternative telling of history, which yeah is is pretty interesting and not something we see. That I also uh, had no idea about. Like I'm learning so many things about this movie. Yeah, I mean, I don't think any of this is vital to your viewing of it, but it's like interesting. No, but it's interesting to learn about. Yeah, especially that yeah. it's like somewhat. Well, it's not historically accurate, obviously, but there it is a history movie kind of. Yeah, story. yeah, definitely intended to be his version of a of a historical movie. Um, the 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 forest uh, the, that we that most of the movie spends in is based on a forest in like a south southern island in Japan, which looks mm. gorgeous. I remember as now, yeah, Yakushima, Yakushima, yeah, island. yeah. Um, so yeah, and they, they like took a long scouting trip there. There's a lot of like what went into this movie you could read about. It's it's pretty interesting. Um, well, how about the uh, we talked about Ashitaka and San? Um, they're uh, obviously we all ship me- it. Clearly, <laughs> does anyone like intensely ship this? Like, I did uh, when I was a kid. When, well, not okay, when I was a kid, but when I saw it for the first time. I like the for like forbidden trope when it's done well, and like the fact that he's never trying to like. I mean, I guess he does, like, suggest, like, you are human, you should kind of act like one, but he's never, like, come back to the human village and, mm-hmm. you know, who cares about the forest? He's just a very, like, respectful, like, drinking, w- drink women, oh my god, drink respects women juice, and he, I don't know. I didn't it's... know where you were going, you just kept saying drink, and I was like, what are you saying? saying getting getting to a meme there. <laughs> But uh, I'm sorry. That's how I express thoughts now. Um, But she I mean, they're just very clearly different people and their dynamic throughout the movie. Like, you know, obviously at the beginning, it's not good, but it's done very well. 
Yeah, I think the scene of when San attacks the ironworks and then um, kind of the, the second time he sees her um, after this this iconic meeting we talked about. Uh, but uh, and, and he's like just trying to prevent her from killing Ben. Then she's like attacking him. And then uh, he's like, uh, you're beautiful. And uh, she's, <laughs> she's like, oh, what? She's like, what? what? <laughs> yeah. I did really like the scene where he like knocks them both out. He's like, can y'all stop? Yeah. Yeah. When they're fighting. Um, he's like, no. Somebody uh, help. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that that's really noble. Other scenes. I think we talked about uh, a lot of these, these great ones. Um, but uh, at the, the uh, yeah. go ahead. The the ending scene I think is is one uh, everything that happens at the end once uh, we start uh, blooming. Talk about the uh, Joey Saishi score. That's my favorite track from the score. Is yes. Ashitaka and San at the end when um, the the green starts coming back after after they return the head and after whatever does whatever like goes over the land. Um, but yeah, there's there's some there's some good shots of the two of them and it's cute I guess and and stuff. And she, <laughs> I guess she's like I love you, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah, she was the one to say you. that first in my heart. But I was also you know, kind of yeah. like, why? But, you know. I think it's hard to ship it too much when he's the first, like, human being she's yeah, really exactly. interacted with. Yes. <laughs> first human but, man her age, maybe. I do like that she, he's like, okay, well, you just live in the forest and I'll stay and we'll vi- yeah, vi- visit. And I'm like, yeah. yes, good call. It's, yes. A good, it's a good ending. Them, you do, yeah. girl. I'll also, do. I, I wish I could, like, talk about it more in depth, but, like. God, the music just yes. every yeah, movie. Let's go. I'm just like, yes. yeah. Yeah, def- my favorite this is definitely Departure to the West, but also Ashitaka and San is beautiful. So good. Yeah, I was going through on Spotify, the Mononoke Sanchez is definitely one of his Hisaishi's his, his iconic ones. Um, Departure to the West, I think, contains kind of a recurring theme that uh, is, I do like the theme. Yeah, iconic to the to the beginning of the movie. There also is a theme song which gets uh, is presented and then gets lyrics. It's called Princess Mononoke theme song on the soundtrack, and that's wonderful. Um, the, uh, the encounter is during the, when, uh, he sees San for the first time. I love the, 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 the track to that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, world of the dead is like a few parts of when, uh, they're hunting the, the it's dear God. Very it's very trippy. Dying. Some of it. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. That one. Yeah. I think that might, that's like a pretty high, a pretty big highlight. And there's legend of the Ashitaka, which is in the beginning and then plays the second half of the credits too. It's like a more orchestral version of it. Um, there's also really I don't know if this is it's probably not on the score but there's like a song that the women sing when they're in the ironworks yeah, yeah. that's that's yeah. on the score too yeah. it's so good it's yeah, been stuck in my head many a time uh, the Tatara woman work song mm-hmm. yeah that's on there um, yeah they tra- I guess Tatara is its name in Japanese but they just translated as ironworks in the subtitles I'm assuming um, that's correct I'm not I think, I, off the I top think. of my head I can't tell you yeah. but probably there's there's also there's also the deer god which is called the shishigami in Japanese, which is translated correct. as the deer god in in English. But it's the deer is not really supposed to be part of its name. I think it's just kind of like what. No, shishi means deer. Oh, it's shishi means deer. Okay, okay, there you go. That that's better then. Um, I knew God. So here, god. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, Look the at me knowing stuff. Conjugation ka- ka- issues. Um, yeah. So there's a. Uh, Last thing, I guess, to talk about, just to read this quote, because I think it's interesting, is just the presentation of nature as uh, not like this uh, anthropomorphized or cuddly thing, just as a weird otherness. Um, 
Susan Napier says, in the movie's most provocative touch, Miyazaki offers the gentle otherworldly countenance of the Shishigami, monstrous, awe-inspiring, and fundamentally other, capital O, other. The Shishigami is a creation that pushes the film well past cliches of many admirable but obvious artworks on environmental issues that tend to amplify nature as a noble, vulnerable, or cuddly vulnerable. In this film, not only can we envision the other in ways never before presented, but the other looks back at us. From the impishly smiling visages of the Kodama to the fearsome hatred emanating from a wounded boar's eyes, Princess Mononoke offers a panoply of gazes from the other. Uh, Princess Mononoke depicts entanglement with the natural world on a level that manages to avoid much of the typical anthropomorphizing tendencies of conventional nature representations. Through the brilliance of its animation, the movie offers what the French philosopher Emmanuel Levinas calls the strangeness of the other, although it goes beyond Levinas' concern with the human to suggest a whole new category of otherness. The film's revelation of this strangeness wakes the human audience to its proximity to and intimacy and interdependence with the natural world. Um, just the, the weirdness of the spirits, like, uh, you know, just yeah. like, uh, the, the, the face of the, the dear God. So is, messed up. The, Why? Yeah, it's pretty gross. I think the most iconic elements of Which that, I think but. you kind of get that more in Korra in the spirit world, like specifically in the Wan episodes, like yes. the be- um, beginnings, you have more of this, um, like this otherness of the spirits, which honestly, I, we were talking about tropes we like, I really, really enjoy, like. I prefer this, like, you know, nature isn't, you know, it is this force to be reckoned with. It's not, you know, it's not something necessarily you have to, like, it doesn't need your protection. You just mm. need to leave it alone. So that is something I really enjoy is that the the otherness, the, you know, the strength that nature has. Like, the, the she, like, I really, really like the Night Stalker. Like, the, like, one, visually it's incredible, but then also the power that emanates from the night stalker yeah night walker yeah yeah it's an iconic iconic visual for sure i think both forms of the the, yes. the deer god pretty pretty iconic and how they they look um yeah i mean the only other we talked about this but just the use of like how violent this movie is the use of guns like people's heads coming off uh just no other miyazaki movie like that yeah um, pretty pretty striking um there's like a the lot beginning. Like, I thought there was a lot of blood in Nausicaa. There is a lot of blood in this movie. Like, a is there lot. any blood in Nausicaa? Oh, yeah, there is a little bit. Like, you just you see Ashitaka just shoot an arrow and that this samurai's arms go flying off in, like, the first 20 minutes yeah. of the movie. That, like, was emotionally scarring, but well, also... I mean, well, also, like, when they kill the boar. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. Oh, my God, the sheer amount of blood. And then also, like... Also, just like when the gods, like, you know, he, whatever dark cryptic thing he says to them before he dies, like, you will know my hatred and then just dissolves. Yeah. 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 No, that's a, it's a pretty good opening scene. Um, and with, uh, a Nago as well. Um, yeah. And yeah, Ash- Ashitaka leaves, uh, his like fiance or like woman who was getting married behind and stuff and interesting. Um, and then in English, they made it her sister. Also, I wanted like we're going back to talking about Avatar. Yeah, did they he... say is they say that in the dub. Uh, yeah, he uses like uh, they use a word for brother, but it's not what they mean in the Japanese, is what I've read. Oh, yeah. I have no idea. She just gives him a dagger, and I was like, "That's your girlfriend." And then, but doesn't he give the da- the dagger Tucson, to Son? Yeah, yeah. That's that's a and punk like, move. Wow. Like, it is, it is, <laughs> they changed it up. in the English then, dub to make it seem then, less gross. And then she stabs him with it. It's great, beautiful. I was like, "What are you like? That's not nice." <laughs> <laughs> Listen, he did not like his 
fiance. I guess they are supposed to be engaged. I don't even know. Yeah, Miz- yeah, Miyazaki said in an interview, it's like a woman who wants to marry him or something. So it's probably, like, like I, I think that's supposed all... to be like it, if if he stayed back, this is what his life would have been. He yeah, would have sure. married that girl. Yeah, I think that's what they're going for. Also, he cut off his top knot because yep, honor. Yep. Honor. Yeah. Yep. Says you got the top knot cut off too in the beginning. Yeah. Honestly, he looks better without it. It's fine. I like that's the top fine. knot. It did look good, but on for like 10 minutes but yeah okay <laughs> ali anything else from mononoke um well i really loved hearing your guys's takes like i it's my favorite i really i want to go back and watch nausicaa even though i definitely saw it like a few months ago and see like how similar they are but also how different they are um yeah i did i definitely thought about the moral ambiguity of this but after this whole discussion it's i love it even more it's my favorite when things are presented in a way that you can like really relate it to real life and i think this movie does a fantastic job of it even though you know it's very it has a lot of fantastical elements but 10 out of 10 yeah that's great yeah maybe the best ever of anything like in terms For of accomplishing me, what you're talking about yes um, i would say so the, the realness and relating it and yeah not just um, movies just animated movies period i don't know about live action because i haven't seen enough like delaney said i only watch cartoons yeah i mean uh, yeah i like i think this is like this inspired away the best films ever but also i haven't seen a lot of the films many people consider yeah same action but um, i'll still to make the claim anyway for boldness uh Del- delaney final mononoke thoughts um, I really enjoyed this, and as per usual, I'm just like, yep, I just gotta keep watching more Studio Ghibli movies, it's fine. Um, <laughs> I can't believe this is the first time you've seen it. I very slowly have been... Especially working. with the Avatar. I That's know, mostly it's why. it's literally Avatar. I, I have, like, before we started the series, I had seen several, not several, a few, like, I, like whatever I could get at my local library. So it's definitely nice yeah, that cool. now there's more stuff, like, it's, you know, I can well, watch all of them. Um, but I did, I really enjoyed this and I do think I need like more and more. I think I need to rewatch each movie with the dub so that I can focus more on experiencing the movie, like the music and the scenery versus trying to figure out what's going on. But I definitely do think it's best for me to continue watching like the the movie at the first viewing with the sub. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that's the argument for the dub, so. I yeah. would say it's important, too. I'm not, listen, <laughs> I have a problem with dubs changing translations, but subs also really don't do the best job. So it's yeah. definitely, it's nice to see both. Yeah. Yeah, both can be, I think, I think you get a lot from both. These are all generally all high quality dubs. Yeah, oh, the definitely. They have the money for it, so. It's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, and this the, yeah, the first Disney, there's the first one to get dubbed, I think, of the Disney ones, and then. All the other ones we've talked about follow afterwards. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm glad we had a good discussion on Mononoke. Um, yeah, I mean, this is one of the ones that's like just we never did a podcast on this because it's just very intimidating for me to talk about it. So you did a fantastic we... job with your outline, though. Like, thank you. Um, no, the Susan Napier chapter is so good. So that's good. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff we could have brought into from a lot of others. So apparently there's a six hour documentary. I want to look at my not like an English. No subtitles. Um, <laughs> there's like bad subtitles at some point, but it's like not even online anymore. I like right. try, yeah, um, uh, yeah. But uh, it's it's. I hope uh, that uh, we we had a good discussion for people from the movie. Let us know what you thought of the movie, what we talked about. Find all the ways to get into contact. Uh, get in contact with us at overlyanimated.com. 
Um, consider supporting us uh, via Patreon at patreon.com slash overlyanimated. Thanks to our current patrons, especially our patron of the podcast, Kent. And thanks as always to our patron executive producers, Ryan, Steve, Alex, Beatrice, Hugh, Michael, Needle, and Phonician. Um, next up, we have a, I guess, a break kind of before we get back to Spirited Away, as these are back-to-back ones. But we have My Neighbor, the Yamadas, so I'm very interested to see the next cool. Takahata film. Um, but, um, yeah, this is where the climax of Studio Ghibli kind of. Right yeah, now, I didn't Mona think about that. But that's very true. And then I think things kind of fall off. After Wait, Spirited do you Away, mean but... this is longer than Spirited Away? Uh, um, yeah, I believe this is the long, longer than Spirited Wait, Away. Wait, is it Howl's? Well, Howl, I don't know how to feel about Howl, but that's after Spirited Away, isn't it? I wasn't talking length when I said it. I was talking like quality, but uh, I do think this is longer than Spirited Away. Uh, yeah, Spirited Away, two hours, five minutes. This movie's like 2.15. Um, yeah, no, this movie's really long, but it, yeah, it does move. So that's, that's I will say impressive. this didn't, like, this didn't feel like, I do feel, like, first time I watched Spirited Away, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> Um, but this, a, there was a lot going on in that movie. Yes, there's definitely there's a, this like there was a point where I was like there was never a point where I wanted I needed to check my phone to see what time it was. I was definitely really enjoying and there's it it moves it does move. It is definitely a very long movie though. Yeah. I'm glad to yeah. hear you guys didn't think this dragged because I've heard that from a lot of people who have watched it just because no, spirited you know. away drags, but this does not. <laughs> interesting, interesting. We'll I know. See. It's weird. Um, I don't think, yeah, I mean, I don't think, but all, all, all these in Nausicaa, I mean, I've heard that about Nausicaa. All of them are just, you know, long and... Uh, oh my god, Nausicaa had me glued to the screen the entire yeah. time. That's good, that's good. I okay. love Nausicaa. You could argue that about any of them, but, um... Yeah. Okay, Liz, that's that's good. We'll see, uh, we'll see the Yamadas next week. Spread away after, should be fun. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Bye. Giro. Bye.